God, I thank you that you so love the world. Lord, I thank you because that enables us to love you and love one another. And I pray today, Lord, for those that are so far away from you, or maybe those that have never experienced your love today, that you would speak through the words that I've prepared and speak into their hearts and their minds, that they would see your incredible, profound, unconditional love that you have for all that you have made. And so speak to everybody clearly, Lord, in words that they can comprehend and understand that nobody would miss you today, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. How many of you grew up with parents that at some point said something derogatory about your generation? Anybody grow up in that kind of environment? I remember my parents and my dad in particular, like, oh, that music, to, oh, I can't believe it. And all the kind of things that are just so typical. And, and I, I remember at that time as a kid making a mental note and going, I gotta go talk to grandmother, because I'm sure grandmother at some point said that about my dad and his music growing up. And I'm sure that's been said of everybody's music ever growing up, that we just live in that kind of environment. So maybe I've still got some issues from my childhood that I need to deal with, and I'll do that in my own time. I won't do that in front of you. I'll, I'll work that out on my own in case I do. But when I see uh, newspaper, magazine articles like this one, this bothers me, uh, the me, me, me generation. And maybe it's because we just have a tendency to label everybody and put them in one big fail swoop that that bothers me a little bit. But part, part of that, what bothers me is you don't know. Like a lot of the new generation of kids that are raising up that I, I've seen that just give so sacrificially and live for Jesus in a way. Like a lot of our students here are so inspiring of the time and energy they give up in serving that it's amazing to me. But outside of that, I think what bothers me most about this is where do we think this came from? Like somehow we blame that on that generation of people. Like somehow they had a big convention that none of us knew about. And, and like everybody who's under 20, let's all get together. And hey, what do you want to be known for? How about we be known for the world revolves around me and it's all about me. So let's all, okay, everybody all united on this. We're all going to make everything about me. Let's go out and live that way. They don't do those kind of things. So where did they learn this behavior? Well, they learned the behavior from you know, parents and society and all these things. But I would propose this has been around forever. This is not a new problem that we have. We've had a me, me, me generation forever. And with that in mind, what I want to do is go back into our text that was read just a moment ago and unpack that just a little bit more and, and to maybe help you get into the context a little bit to let you know when this was written. So Luke put this account together of the life of Jesus. And this part of his account comes after they have marched into Jerusalem. So Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday in the church, if you've heard that term before, where Jesus walks into Jerusalem and he's on a donkey and everybody's singing praises and anointing him the next king. And he's going to save the people, get rid of the Romans. They had all these high expectations for Jesus. And so he would go to the Mount of Olives. Then he would come in during the day and sit down at the temple. And he began to teach people there. And it's this uh, time that Jesus is speaking these words that Luke writes down about that. So this is what's going on. So look at verse, uh, let's see, chapter 20, verse 45. 
While all the people were listening to Jesus and his disciples, so they're in the temple, Jesus has got his disciples around him, and then all these crowds are gathering around him. And you can imagine this is probably disheartening for the teachers of the law and those people who are paid uh, to professionally teach the people, because I imagine their small group was diminishing, and everybody's like, well, why, you're not coming to hear me today? No, no, um, uh, I'll be back later. I'm going to hear this Jesus guy out in the courtyard out here teaching everybody else, and they're all sort of wandering around. So Jesus begins to teach them and all of them around, and here's what he says. Beware of the teachers of the law. And they're like, oh, well, great, great. You know, you're taking all my students, and now you're going to insult me in front of everybody. That's great. They like to walk around in flowing robes. Yes, we do like to walk around in flowing robes. We love that because it identifies us as important people. Everybody knows who we are by what we wear, and so we go out. That's why we do those flowing robes. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Of course we do. Who doesn't like to be treated with respect? Of course, Jesus, we like to be treated with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogue. Of course, yeah, we got the huge chair that we put up right here in front of everybody. So we got the holy chair up here that we sit on and everybody else sits on normal chairs. Of course, we get the most important seat in the synagogue and places of honor and banquets because we get invited. That's just what they give us, Jesus. Um, this is what's going on. And so what are you getting at? Verse 47, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Oh, why don't you pray? You do such a great job of eloquently uh, going on and on about the beautifulness of God. And so why don't you pray? You're so much better at it than everybody else. This is the environment in which they are. They make um, a show of lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And what I love about this text, if you're reading it in your Bible, this is the end of the chapter. But what I love about it is when Luke wrote this down, there weren't chapters and verses. We added that later to help you find it. So Luke chapter 20, oh, I know where that is. I can look right at the verse. We added that later. But it's always a good idea to go back and look at the context and what happened right and before and after. And some of you heard this next part of the story before you heard it just a moment ago. Listen and look at verse 1. As Jesus looked up, what did he look up from? Well, he looked up from teaching his disciples and all those people who had gathered around, and he looks up, and what does he see as people are coming into the temple courtyard? But he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Because that was a big deal. They had a big box set out in front, and everybody just came by, and everybody saw everybody else giving and what they were putting in and how much they were putting in. So, of course, that was a big deal for people. And some of you already, I can feel the tension in your room like, oh, no, really? Really? We're going to go there today. Is that really what it is? I shouldn't have brought a friend today. I knew I knew it was going to say, can you just help me out a little bit and maybe put everybody else at ease? Would you just say money? Oh, come on. Like you mean it. Say money. Money. There you go. Well, I don't know why you want to talk about money so much at all. So you said it first. Um, I, well, I guess I said it first. You said it after me. But we are going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. And God wants to set us free. And this is one of those things I think that has so trapped the hearts of so many people that were so wrapped up with it. I love what Pastor Jet said last week when he talked about giving. <laughs> that giving is used over and over through scripture more than so many more of the popular phrases we think about. God talked about giving in a way. And this is what he's doing again. So verse two, now look what happens. So he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put more than all the others. 
And I love this because as Jesus looked up, he saw what he was just talking about. Do you remember one of the things he rallied against them about? You guys devour widows' houses. And he looks up, and what does he see? Here's a bunch of people putting money in a treasury, and here comes a widow. And she gives everything she has to live on, two tiny little small copper coins, little pennies, uh, you know, not worth much at all in the society, and she gives everything she has. And I, I grew up in church, and, and we idealized that, that widow. And, and maybe rightly so. I don't really know. But that's the way I grew up. That was the only alternative to the story. What a great gift she was, that she gave everything she had. We should be more like the widow. Oh, yeah, okay, let's all be out more like the widow. Let's give everything we had. And, and then it dawns on me at some point, because we don't really know, because Jesus doesn't tell us, but I think it's a really good question to ask our, ourselves. Was it a good thing? Did what she do, was that a good thing to do? Or was Jesus pointing to something that had been built up in the society where this is what happens? That you've created such an environment that a widow, everything she has to live on, this is it. She's got no income coming in, and you're demanding of her. She feels out of guilt or obligation or whatever it is that she has to put in her last substance of what she has to live on into the temple treasury, that you've created this kind of environment. So what is it a good thing to give? And this is where things have gotten so twisted in Jesus' day, and we still have them all twisted around. And this is where I, I think the brilliance of God from the very beginning, one of the first principles he said, it wasn't how much you are to give. It was give me the first fruits. Give me a percentage. It's called a tithe in the Old Testament. A tithe is literally 10%. A tithe isn't just giving. A tithe is 10%. And so give me the first 10% of what you take in. And so it's a very simple principle. You don't have to be great at math. 10% is an easy one. You just move the decimal place. You got $1,000 coming in. Um, that makes it $100. If I got $100 coming in, that's $10. I got $10 coming in, that's a dollar. It's a very simple principle to get a hold of. And what I love about this, not to get all mathy on you, um, but if you don't have any income coming in, you, you've lost your job, you've been laid off or whatever has happened, and you don't have any income coming in, 10% of zero is... Zero. Yeah, it's not tough math to do, isn't it? And isn't that wonderful that God in his wisdom set this up as the standard? Not that you give your last bit that you've got to survive on, but give 10% of, of what you've taken in. And I love this, and I've had people model this in, in my life. My grandmother was a great uh, steward of that and taught me early on. My parents are great. So I've done that all of my life. My wife and I tithe here, and then the Heart for His House campaign, we did that capital campaign two years ago. Um, we gave above and beyond that. And it's just, it's wonderful to be able to do that. It's a great principle to live by. So I, I want to ask you this question, one that I've wrestled with all, all my life. Why do I give? What's my motivation for giving? I've run into a lot of people that, that give in order to get. And we sort of spiritualize it this way. Well, you know, if you give to God, he's going to give back to you. And that becomes the motivation for some people to give. Or, or I give because it makes me feel good. So you're giving in order to get something in return. And we all do this. None of us, I, I fall into this trap like everybody else does. But there's a much better way when you flip-flop that to say, I'm not going to give in order to get. I'm going to get in order to give. So what I have, the purpose of me getting and receiving that is so I can give it away and help those people around me. And again, I'm so thankful I've had people model this uh, in my life for me. 
And I've, I've had the fortunate opportunity to meet some really, really generous people that have inspired me over the years. When I was doing my internship, um, we were Vicarage for being, becoming a pastor, and I was in Gainesville, Florida, at the University of Florida. And I was playing intramural softball with some of our college students there, and I was playing shortstop, and there was a nice line drive um, you know, over to my right. And so I go, and I jump up in the air, and I grab a hold of the ball, and I come and land down, and evidently I landed wrong because my knee just exploded, and here's loud pop, and loud enough for there's this audible gasp, and everybody comes running around, and I fall to the ground, and you know that moment before pain hits you where nothing's really going, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? And everybody's running, and they're gasping, and I look down, and my knee's starting already to swell. I'm like, oh, that probably is not good. And then the pain hits, like, ah, and, and like, yeah, we got to get you. you. You did it bad. You got to get over to the emergency room. We got to see what's going on, and so like, we got to do surgery on that knee and repair that, and I'm like, this is not going to be good because I don't have like a good medical plan. I'm way off my dad's plan at this point in time and I'm on my own. I got this little major medical plan that covers like 80%, but I, I don't have any money. Like, well, you're going to have to have surgery. You, it's not an option. So I have the surgery and I pay off all the little bills and I get down and I've got um, the doctor and I've got the hospital to pay off. And, and, and so I owed them a whole bunch of money and I whittled it down. I got it down to $1,900 by the time I left that I owe them. And I had nothing in my bank account. And, and I'm just praying. I don't know if you've ever been in that desperate situation where like, I don't have two nickels to rub together. And I'm, God, this must be, you're going to have to intervene here. And I had all the bills laid out on the table. And I, I just prayed. And so I just went and talked to him. I'm like, I have no money. I'll pay you like, you know, $25 a month until I die or Jesus comes back, I guess, because I don't have any money. I'm a poor student. I'm a grad student. I don't have anything. I'm like, oh, thanks for coming. And I thought, man, thank you, God, for answering that prayer. They were so kind and compassionate. That was wonderful. My last day on Vicarage, uh, you know, on my desk was a card, and it was from Bob Cade, who's one of the professors at the University of Florida there. And uh, Bob Cade had in there uh, written out a check for $1,900. He said, hey, I made some phone calls. I talked to the pastor. I know you had some. Uh, I don't want you to leave with debt here. Um, thank you for your service here for a year, and just enjoy. And um, so I called him up. I said, man, thank you. Like, how'd, how'd you know? He said, well, I obviously knew you had surgery, and I figured you probably had some debt with that, so I you know, called around and did that. I said, man, thank you so much. I, I so appreciate that. And, and uh, man, can I tell the story? Is it all right if I tell the story? He's like, I'd really rather you not tell the story. I said, well, how about after you die? Can I tell the story after you die? He's like, okay, that would be all right. So he's since passed away, so I'm allowed to tell the story now. Because some of you know, maybe have heard the name Bob Cade before. Uh, he's the inventor of Gatorade. He was a member of our church, Dr. Bob Cade. And there's a great story uh, about him. But I, I love that he always gave to people, and he never, uh, as far as I know, put his name on anything. Um, he never wanted his name on it. He always did it like behind the scenes and just loved to give. He just exuded this generosity in him and he served and gave so faithfully. And I remember walking away from that occurrence. Just one, like, thank you, God. That was an answer to prayer beyond what I was even asking for. And, and two, I want to become more like that. I, I want to be that kind of person that has that kind of joy in giving and goes out of their way to give to people who have a need. Now, what a wonderful, wonderful gift that is. So I think what... Paul understood was what Jesus was talking about on the last week of his life here on earth before he'd go to a cross. And this was so important that he wrote this down to a young pastor named Timothy. He's like, you've got to teach this to your people. And this is the way he's taught. I've taught on this before, but take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. And some of you already have stopped. Because like, oh, well, this is not for me because I'm not rich. Command those who are rich. It says right there, rich. Command those who are rich in this present world. And I'm, I'm not rich. Except we sort of are. 
But in our mind, we have other people, our rich. You know, we, we got those who are entrepreneurs and people who have sold businesses and, and these CEOs of companies. Those people are rich. Or these entertainers who have just amassed millions of dollars. Those people are rich. Or maybe it's athletes who have these billion-dollar contracts. These people are, are rich. These are the ones who are rich. And I, I remember years ago, I think it was the lockout, which is 88, 89 in the NBA, and they were interviewing some players during that lockout, and they interviewed Patrick Ewing. Anybody remember this conversation? I remember this because I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. And their interviews, like, man, you guys have no idea how much we're suffering during this lockout because we're not getting paid during this lockout. It's like, oh, really? It must be really tough on you to have, you know, millions of dollars sitting somewhere in a bank account. And, and so the interviewer was pressing him a little bit, and he said, yeah, you don't understand. Uh, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money, too. And people joked about that, but I remember when he said that quote, I thought, that's true of me. Like, that's me. I spend a lot, I make a lot of money, but I spend a lot of money. And that's true of every single one. Isn't that what you do? You get money and you spend it. That's what we, we do. And we're rich in this present world. In fact, statistics would, would tell you that if you make $32,000 a year, you are the top 1% wage earners in the world. So I imagine this is for us. So command those who are rich in this present world. Okay, so I guess now we have to pay attention to what he's saying. To not be arrogant, that would be a good thing, or to put their hope in wealth, that's a whole different sermon. Those of us who have lived long enough, we've seen the dips in the market and the housing and all those kind of things, uh, which is so uncertain. Absolutely, amen. But to put their hope in God, who, and I love this, richly provides us with everything for our Enjoyment. And I love that word. Enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy things. Like we don't have to give everything to, we don't have to take our last two copper coins and put them in the temple treasury. God says it's okay for you to enjoy some things. That's why I gave it to you for your enjoyment. Heard a great quote this last week. And he said, the, the reason that there are um, non-Christians in the world is because they've never run across a Christian or because they have run across a Christian. And it was so convicting to me. I think, I think so often we get this wrong and we think the more miserable we are, the more holy we are, the more like Jesus we are. And God says, no, I've given you things for your enjoyment, that this is something you should be doing. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, this is great, because this is a great principle and a great way to live your life. But you don't have to do it. But boy, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you see a command, this is something that we, we have to do. And what is he asking us to do? Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And another word that we've used throughout this series is just simply be intentional. And be intentional with what God has given you, with the time that God has given you. Be intentional with that. Be intentional with the talent that God has given you. Be intentional with that. Don't just use it for your own consumption. And, and with your treasures, don't make the assumption that it's all for your consumption. But be intentional with what God has given you and use it for him and for his glory and for his kingdom and to serve other people. Be intentional. One of my uh, favorite dating stories uh, with my wife, and, and for those of you who have met my wife before, um, usually when people see us together, there's like this audible gasp, like, oh, wow, what are you doing with him? You know, kind of thing. 
And I'm, I'm okay. I've learned to live with that. That's uh, all right. But you, you, for those of you who know us, like we're, we're really opposites in a lot of ways. My wife is incredibly intelligent and articulate. I'm, I'm not. Um, she's an assistant dean at, or associate dean at the university, at uh, Concordia University in Irvine, California, where she is in charge of the masters and um, uh, org leadership and counseling and working on a PhD program uh, for the same thing. Um, the only time that university has ever asked me to do anything on that campus is, would you come and do a chapel? They're not asking me to lead anything. I don't have that kind of gift. That's my wife's gift. If, for those Dave Ramsey fans, um, I'm the nerd in the family. My wife is the free spirit in the family. Like, we're opposite in so many ways. But you ever have one of those magic moments? Because that's what happens, really, when you get married, isn't it? You marry opposites. And, and so one of the beautiful things that happens every once in a while, and I don't know if you've experienced this, when it's like all of a sudden, those opposites just, they come together in a magical moment where it's like, that was incredible. And I remember one of these magical moments. We were out on a date, and we were going to go see a movie. And we had a little time before the movie. So like, let's just run in and grab something to eat real quick. And so we ran into the Applebee's, which is right next door to the theater. And so we sat down, grabbed something to eat, had something to drink. And, and the waitress that was serving us, uh, she was very pregnant. And I noticed she didn't have a ring on her finger. I don't know if she, just, she couldn't fit a ring on her finger or just because she wasn't married. I don't know. Um, we talked to her a little bit. She didn't share a lot with us, but she served us. And, and so we ate, and then I'm looking to watch. Oh, wow, the movie's getting ready to start. I tell you, I'll run over and get the tickets. Why don't you get the bill, and you just take the car and meet me over at the theater. I'll meet, meet you there. And on the way out, God was very pressing in on my heart. And uh, he said, well, why don't you leave uh, the waitress a really big tip? And there's something that twinged in my heart a little bit. And then, you know, the other side of my brain took over a little bit. I'm like, well, she didn't really give that great a service. You know, kind of and, and God's like, well, it wasn't about how great a service she did. Um, just do that. So I pick up my phone and I call my wife and I said, hey, did you pay the bill yet? She goes, no, no, she's just bringing it down. So, oh, because I, I had this crazy thought. Um, I, I think God was telling us like, to leave a really generous tip for her. And, and what do you think? And she goes, oh, yeah, I was definitely, I was feeling the same thing. I was absolutely going to do that. I just wasn't going to tell you about it kind of thing. Because <laughs> I'm the nerd. And like, she was probably afraid that you would just veto that decision. I'm like, no. And it was one of these beautiful moments. It's like we both were on the same page. It's like, man, we just want to bless this y'all. We don't know what her story is. And frankly, it didn't matter. We didn't sit in the car and wait for her to open the thing up and go, oh, wow. We didn't care because it didn't matter. It was like just this overwhelming sense that God told us both to do the same thing, and we're faithful to step into that moment and, and to be generous and willing to share. And I, I love those kind of moments that happen. So let me ask you this. Uh, what story do you want to tell about your life? What story do you want told about you? I think it's good to intentionally think about that every once in a while. Because I think all of us, at the end of the day, if we took the time to think about it, would say, I'd, I'd like a story like Bob Cave to be told about me. I, I would like a, a story to be told that I was generous and willing to share. And it wasn't about me at all. I wasn't doing it for something I could get or a tax write-off. I, I was doing it just because God commanded. And it's, it's fun to do. It's fun to tap into the heartbeat of God and be generous like God is generous. And I want to do that. I'm going to give you a little challenge uh, this week. Uh, being Thanksgiving week, some of you are on vacation. This is a great time to start an exercise like this. There's a tradition in Scripture that there's these Psalms of Ascent. And they're Psalm 120 to 134. And they're all very short Psalms. You can read all of them in probably about a 15-minute span. 
And tradition has it that as you go into Jerusalem and you go up to the temple, that there were 15 steps, and there are 15 of these psalms of ascent. And for each time you'd step on um, one of the steps going up, you'd recite one of those psalms, and then you'd take another step and recite another psalm and another step and another psalm until you went through all those psalms of ascent. And then you'd be in, you know, as you went in to worship God, that you were really preparing your heart to do that. And I want to challenge you, just start your week this way. Like tomorrow morning, get up, get up 15 minutes early and read through the Psalms of Ascent and just start your day that way and do that all of Thanksgiving week and see if it doesn't change your perspective a little bit. And I just want to read uh, for you one of those Psalms of Ascent. Again, they start in Psalm 120 and they go to 134. And I just want to give you 128. Uh, again, I love all of these, but this one um, just talks about giving in such a great way. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And that is just so absolutely true. When we walk in what God has called us to walk in, life is better when we do it the way Jesus intended us to do it. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. And while it's ancient kind of language, you know, like I don't really get all the nuance of that. What he's getting at is this is an incredible moment and a house full of peace when you're following the way God wants. And I, I think every single one of us would say, I, I'd love that to be the defining characteristic of my house that there's a place of peace where you are blessing everything that's going on there. And so then the prayer at the end, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children and peace be upon Israel. And so as we wrap up this series, Make a Difference, every week, and again, in your worship folder, there's a Make a Difference card. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this already, Fill this out, not because we're going to know that you filled it out because they're anonymous. We don't want anybody's name on this, but we want to challenge you to really think through. How am I intentionally living out with the time that God has given me? What am I going to do with this time that God has given me intentionally? What am I going to intentionally do with these talents that God has given me? And what am I intentionally going to do with the resources and the treasures that God has given to me? And so if you're ready today and you've been wrestling with this, you've been with us through this whole time, or if you haven't been here and you say, I really want to go back, I want to look at the other messages online and wrestle with God a little bit, you can come back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a worship service in here Thanksgiving Eve, and this will be your last opportunity to come and dedicate these cards and give these over to God. Not because God needs to know. God already knows what's in your heart and what you're going to do. I just think there's a great act of faith in being intentional about writing something down and saying, okay, God, here's what I want to give to you and handing that over. And we've got these gold boxes up here. You can put them right in there and you can do that during our prayer time after the service or on Wednesday night um, at our time there as well.